I'm really happy to be talking with Philip Shepard today, composer, multi-instrumentalist. I mean, for folks who aren't familiar with you and your work, I mean, we're going to be talking about Detroit, which I'm really excited about because for me, it was just like really amazing. I, I went into playing the game without knowing anything about it. So when I started playing, I was like, oh, okay, this is definitely not what I expected. It's a totally different experience, and I was pleasantly surprised by how entertaining and riveting everybody, all the departments, from visual to music to sound, it's an incredible game. So first off, I'd love just to find out a little bit more about you. Where did you grow up, and when did you first like discover, I want to become a composer? What, what, what was that moment for you? Well, I was, uh, I was a... Well, I suppose I grew up in, in East London, um, so technically I'm a Cockney. Um, right. I, <laughs> I try and hide it. Yeah. Um, I, I first became a musician when I was about three years old, weirdly enough. Um, I was born into quite a musical family and my my mum's a professional violinist. And I remember I was pestering her from when I was about two years old. You know, I want to I want to play. And I heard the cello. It's a very it sounds unbelievable, but it's true. I heard I heard a very famous cellist on the radio and I said, what's that? Mm. And she said, that's a cello. I said, is it bigger than a violin? Yes, I, that that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So I became a cellist and things kind of went well. I, I did a lot of touring when I was a kid. I, I came to America in the 70s doing concerts. Would you believe it? Um, and that was kind of a different life. And I, I, I went through the Royal Academy of Music from when I was quite young. And then I never left. I became mm. a professor there when I left. Um, and I wanted to study composition because for me, I, I was always fascinated with actually how music worked. But weirdly enough, growing up in a generation where <laughs> there was this massive difference between being a, a performer and being a composer. And it, it's almost the only century where that was the 20th century, I'd say. It was really the only century where that was the case. And there was a big irony, I suppose, in the fact that all these classical composers that I was studying um, it would have been amazing improvisers and performers. And the performers of their time would have been amazing composers too. Mm -hmm. So I was very frustrated. And I said to the staff at the academy, I, I need to learn how to compose. And they said, no, you're, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> so um, I became a professor there. And then after a number of years, I, I, yeah, I started writing my own stuff. I, I was untrained, but I'd played a lot of other people's music, was working with amazing composers like Hans von Henser and Sir Michael Tippett. And then in the America, I was working with Terry Riley, Steve Reich, wow. all, the, all the minimalists um, who were my heroes. But at the same time, I was sort of working in amongst some of the European composers like Hans von Henser. So it was this kind of, my education was, was kind of solid in terms of the contemporary mm. music world. Mm. And I realized that I was actually, all I was doing was becoming more and more qualified in becoming just being an interpreter, which is fine, but it's a bit like being a race car driver and not being curious about mm. how the engine works. And mm. it's the, actually the only art form at that time, the only art form you could go through studying, certainly in the UK, without ever creating anything of your own. I mean, you know, mm. if you're, a, a, I don't know, uh, let's say you're a dancer or a stand-up comedian or an actor or a sculptor or a painter, you you have to be creating. Mm -hmm. And yet we, we had this sort of thing where, no, you don't do that and you really shouldn't try and understand it. So for me, the frustration boiled up to the point where I thought, I'm going to do this. Started writing my own stuff, really not for anybody else, and you know, put out the odd CD. Mm -hmm. And my first CD got picked up and used on TV, and suddenly you know, these things called royalties. And I was like, yeah. wow, what's this? This is different. And, and short story, I, I was... Um, some of my, my music was being tempted onto a movie about the Apollo moon landings and the... the 
company, to their credit, rang me up and said, hey, we're making this film. We seem to be using a lot of your music mm. as a scratch track. I literally no idea what you're talking about, but I, I'd love to work in film. You know, it's kind of, yeah, that's, yeah. My passion. that's my passion. And yeah, we made a film called In the Shadow of the Moon. This was oh. back in 2006, 2007. None of us had made a film before. Yeah. Uh, and we took it to Sundance and we won. <laughs> that was kind of, I was like, oh, this is cool. Um, and then, uh, you know, since then, that's what I've been doing, mainly in documentary. And uh, I've always worked with bands at the same time. So even even when I was teaching as a professor at Royal Academy of Music, I was running away at night and working in, re- in recording studios. Particularly, I've, I've been in a band called Uncle for about 14 or 15 years. Yeah. And then from that, I worked with um, Bowie and Scott Walker, people like that. And uh, more recently, uh, do, doing a lot of work within... Well, I suppose the EDM world. So I've written three albums with Pretty Lights and I write with um, Odessa as well, who mm. I love. It's I fantastic music, yeah. Them. Oh, that is just... And the great thing is, you know, we're living in a time when when music stopped being defined, well, certainly by us, the people who are making it, you know, mm-hmm. it's been stopped defining in terms of genre. And there's two types of music. There's, there's the good stuff and then there's everything else. <laughs> and I, I feel lucky that i'm sort of now at a point when music's really respected for people being able to play and sing yeah certainly wasn't the case 10 years ago and also that these days people listen to everything i mean you know there's no there's really no boundaries you don't say well i don't listen to that type of music if it's good and it gives you goosebumps it's it's valuable and i i that's the, the approach i have in my world so that's a very long answer to your question. No, I suppose the difference is I, yeah. I think I think I started in a very narrow, specialised way, which I'm very grateful for because it gave me that that classical foundation. So even if even if my music sucks, people can't turn around and say, "Well, you can't play." Well, I I can. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's, that's a, if for anyone who who loves just watching something behind the scenes, there's a great video of you playing the theme from Detroit, a uh, Cars theme. Which is really oh, yeah. cool. What was what was the occasion of that? Was that when you were on the stage, or? Yeah, there was this uh, event that they do. And again, this, I mean, the gaming world is a completely unknown yeah. thing to me. I'm I'm used to the movie world, and they they held a, an event for. Was it during E3 or? Yeah, no, it wasn't. It was much oh. smaller than that. It was actually for influencers in Detroit. So it was about oh. thirty or forty people, all who had their own Instagram and YouTube channels and stuff, <laughs> yeah. and Twitch accounts and stuff. I, I mean. And and I was there, you know, because I, I, I felt there'd been a long gestation for this game and I kind yeah. of wanted to go to the party, to be quite honest with you. So I took a cello with me <laughs> and I said, I said, actually, I think I can play the car theme. Uh, I think I've worked out how to loop it. So I sat and played it and then the Sony people went, wait a minute, can we film that? Like, yeah, sure. Okay, fine. And then they put it, they put it online and it was, I've, you know, I've been live looping with a cello for, for years. It's how I've composed because I can't play the piano. Uh, and... Uh, it's how I came up with the theme in the first place. So it was quite nice for me to be able to deconstruct it back into just being single lines stacking up like that when obviously the whole thing in the actual game is a lot of instruments all at once in a very nice recording studio. Wow. You know. So, um, I mean, for you, for for being... Because like, you're based in the UK, right? Yeah, that's right. Just outside London. Yeah, yeah. so doing, I look at, you know, the discography and the project list of you and, and you're doing a lot of stuff which kind of falls in between technology, documentary, these feature projects and like these kind of interesting one-off um, projects. So, so like, how have you curated your work or like the, the focus? Is it relationship-based? Is it people finding you? Like, how has that evolved? Because I just look at the yeah. past even three years and it's a wide variety of projects. <laughs> 
<laughs> it is. It, it it drives anyone who represents me slightly mad. Yeah. Um. I, I've I've never actually had. I've never had an agent. Okay. I've I've since Sundance happened. I've been in the fortunate fortunate position of of choosing to do what comes in. Okay. Um. But I think the honest answer to that is that I'm quite restless, mm. and I'm also super conscious of the fact that when you get decent at doing one thing. You can become comfortable, and when you become mm. comfortable, you become very, very boring. <laughs> and I'm terrified of being boring. Yeah. So, and it's more a case of if I'm doing a big movie, I also want to be doing a project on the side that has nothing to do with that as well. Because you know how it is. If you might be stuck on a queue, the best thing you can do is actually do something else, but but creatively do something else. So you know, I might be writing a ballet at the same time as I'm writing with Odessa or doing a documentary soundtrack, and I'm very transparent about that with the people I'm working with. It doesn't mean that I'm working less on their projects. It just means I'm working more intensively mm. on 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 more things. I don't sleep very much either, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, so that that's a benefit. And also, my my thing is, I've never really been interested in trying to make a career. Okay. I, I'm I'm not remotely interested in becoming well known. I, I, genuinely, there's there's something glorious about being a composer because even apart from you know the tentpole kind of guys, a lot of people you wouldn't be able to rec- you would, but a lot of, you know the public wouldn't be able to recognize yeah, yeah, them yeah. on the street, and that's very cool. You know, and then I've worked with very big bands who suffer this thing of having to always you know be relevant and be fashionable, and I can't imagine anything worse. <laughs> Whereas I'm able to 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 choose who 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 I work with right. and but every day is a case of creating that work so you know I've got this policy if I read a book that I like I will write to the author and mm. say I love what you do how can we work together I mean just it's simply because that's then an interesting way of being I, I I don't really think you know becoming famous or big or wealthy or anything like that is a particularly healthy motivation but I think mm. becoming enriched by working with people who are really fabulous at what they do is is really one of the side benefits of, of this and I'll, I'll give you an example of that i mean this first movie we made shadow of the moon uh, we went and did you know <laughs> the process of it was quite arduous it was hard work because none of us really knew what we were doing uh, honestly yeah and i remember going to spending the weekend in new york with seven of the apollo astronauts wow and and walter cronkite took us out for lunch oh jeez. Yeah, and I rang my dad and I said, um, you know you've always worried about me not having a real job. Um, can I put Buzz Aldrin on the phone to me? And, went, and, and my, my dad's very English and very chill. And he just said, yeah, maybe I'll stop worrying now. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, you know, you think, particularly in documentary, you end up, yeah, I mean, that sounded like a total brag, but you do end up meeting people who, who kind of transcend human ability. Mm. And, and even being in the same room as those people gives you the inspiration to actually just try and be better yeah because i you know i can never do that i can never climb that mountain i can never change the government i can never you know i i'm not that i want to be that guy i'm not but it's contagious yeah and 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 for me the motivation in doing any work is is it difficult is it going to make me better at what i do and am i working with people who are better than me Mm. if the answer is yes to all of those then i'll do it i don't care what it is you know, so I learned to use Ableton, which yeah. I wanted to learn, because I started. I started working with um, Odessa, and I said, oh, "Can you send me some of your session files?" And they mm. sent me an entire concert set list. And like, 
that's kind of the best crash course you'll ever get in how to build cells. Wow. You know, I still open it sometimes. I'm sure it's worth a fortune. Don't tell them. Um, <laughs> but you know, you, you're, and, and the thing is that when you're, you know this, when you're yep. working with people who are really good at what you do, if you say to them, how do you do that? Yeah. They're going to show you because they love what they do. Yeah. You know, you go into Skywalker Sound, you kind of say, what's the best EQ setting? They're going to show you. They're not going to say, well, you should know that really. Right. They're going to show you. You know, it's the same as your podcast. Mm. You've, you know, that's what people do. It's I, great. I think it's incredible to think about just like the happen the the things that we never planned for that have a kind of send you on a trajectory. And I'm curious what happened when, for instance, a great example, even in 2015, you had the opportunity to have some of your music used for trailers for Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. What well, like that- how does that come about? Okay, this is weird. I'm a great believer that if you write down what you're going to want to do, it's going to happen. But that's not the universe shifting into shape for you. It's actually, and I've always done this, I completed my bucket list in in, in 2015. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And and that was simply because, I mean, the first thing I ever wrote on my bucket list was I want to play at Glastonbury, which is... Uh, for American li- listeners, the equivalent of Coachella. Now, at the time, I was a cello professor, very classical. And I happened to be working with a band in Ireland who, who mm. were working with producer from Tears for Fears. And and mm. I'd said to them, jokingly, you know, I, I've always wanted to play at Coachella. Uh, not Coachella. I've always <laughs> wanted to play at Glastonbury, which was the first thing on my list. Yeah. And they, they kind of laughed, you know, politely. And, and we thought nothing of it. And then three weeks later, I got a phone call. And they said, you know what you said about Glastonbury? I said, yeah, yeah. Are you serious about that? I said, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll play for a cup of tea. I'll, I'll. Uh-huh. They said, well... Okay, we're on we're on the main stage supporting Kasabian next week. <laughs> Do you want to come and play? Like, yes. <laughs> so I drew, I got a pass. I drove in in a four by four. Oh my uh, god! Like an an off roader. I drove all the way to backstage. I got out, did a line check. We played, did a set, came off stage. I thought, well, I'm driving. I can't have a drink. I don't do drugs. I'll have a cup of tea. Uh-huh. Look, looked around. Very nice. And then I drove home again. <laughs> and that was the first thing on my list. And and weirdly enough. Whenever you write something down, as with that, yeah. you find yourself telling people, say, hey, <laughs> this is ridiculous, but I've always wanted to write for Cirque du Soleil, for instance. Uh-huh. You know. Sure enough, someone I'd employed back in 2008 became a producer for Cirque du Soleil. He said, you know, you said you wanted to write for Cirque du Soleil. Yes. He said, well, uh-huh. do you want to do this thing for Vegas? End up being cast in a show for a night and did it. I mean, that was the end of my uh-huh. of my of of that particular bucket list, which was crazy stuff. And then the new bucket, and, and I said to him, I finished my bucket list. He said, uh, write another one. Otherwise you, that's yeah. like when you die, when you die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, I want to work with JJ Abrams. Like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I told so many people, I want to work with JJ Abrams. By the end of two months, there were four or five leads to him to the point when a friend of mine who did, who does ADR recording at Pinewoods, yep. I won't name her, she'll be embarrassed. On my birthday, because we share a birthday, yeah. said to me, oh, um, JJ was on your SoundCloud page this morning. Oh, my God. And I said, and she said, well, he spent some time on there. Oh, my God. And then the next thing I knew is I got this phone call. Hi, we're really from Disney. And do you, do you, are you, is this your track? Oh, my do God. You? I said, yeah, yes, it is. Why? And I said, well, we'd like to use it for a trailer. Oh, what trailer? Uh, it's for The Force Awakens. I went, Okay, right. And this is a Friday evening. I said, and uh, what do you need me to do then? They said, uh, yeah, well, we've already cut to your music. I said, <laughs> oh, is this a negotiation? She said, yes. Oh, my God. It's not going to change. And yeah, well, we that's, need it. That's interesting. 
so, so yeah for anyone weekend. who doesn't realize what it was so it was the star wars force awakens it was the tr- uh, i mean there's a few trailers but i guess it was the first trailer what's yeah it's the one they showed at comic-con at comic-con yeah yeah, they were showing how analog the whole process was, so yep. the explosions were real. And, and the moment I knew that something had changed was when Tina Fey and Amy Poehler did a trailer for their for their movie, uh-huh. um, Sisters. Oh, yeah. And they did a parody of that, of the Force Awakens trailer, and a parody of my music. Oh, jeez. That is so cool. I was so happy. I actually sent a message to Amy Fowler saying, thank you, you literally made my life. <laughs> but and so, but that, that was music from a previous album that you had, right? It, it was. That I mean, was actually was... music from Shadow of the Moon, my, the first film. So it kind of came oh, full circle, wow. which, is, okay. which was crazy, yeah. And, and the track yeah. is called... Uh, uh, epiphany epiphany yeah, is, yeah. Is that one yeah That's so and it's cool. really yeah. it's really slight it's very yep. quiet now the thing the thing with and i'd always say this to any composer the thing yep. about trying to get your music noticed as with that was to to make it have what i call a wtf and i'm not going to curse but it's it's to have a kind of sound where someone goes i literally don't know what that is and any track that i've written that seems to have legs has always had something to it which is a is an odd now noise that rent that becomes musical mm. so in in that one it was playing um playing the inside of a piano but not using fingernails but by using kind of the mm. the felts of my fingers to to pluck the strings and and i got paper inside the piano and everything like that because <laughs> it just sound, i wanted something that sounded kind of otherworldly but not too kind of woo-woo yeah and um that's kind of always been the case. And the other track where that was definitely the case was actually the track I did with Bowie, where I've got this particular um, technique that I developed a while ago on the cello, doing very, very uh, multiphonic feedback just by playing flat hair on the bridge and you mm. can control all, all the overtones. And he ended up sampling, sampling it into his keyboards. Oh my God. But it's, it, was the hook, it became the hook of the song, which was, I was really pleased about because it, it was obviously a sound that wasn't out there in anything else. And I, I, I do genuinely every day try and create a new noise. And I call myself a noise designer, not a composer sometimes, because it's a it's a nice way of ensuring <laughs> insurance policy. Wow. <laughs> I mean, do you find that you consider yourself, like your focus is on, a, is, or like, is there a specific type of project now that you're trying to associate yourself with? Or is it still very open to everything and anything? Well, I've done about 60 soundtracks now, and I'd uh, some of those have been most of those have been for documentaries yep. some of those have been live scores for theater things or whatever i i always think you should change and yeah. i always think you should re-up uh <laughs> to quote the wire yeah um <laughs> and so weirdly enough one of the things on my new list two years ago was i want to write some music for for a small game and thinking you know i've got friends who develop apps and I'll, try, I'll try and do an app or something and then the phone mm. went and it was it was it was this game and I, since doing it, I realized actually the, the the world of writing soundtracks for games is extraordinary. It's kind of passionate. It's high level. It's very high quality. I mean, when you've got people like mm. Lorne Balfe and The Flight, who I love as well, you know, you've got people writing such extraordinarily beautiful music that's really well crafted and fantastically well recorded. It, You know, I'm attracted to things where it's technically pushes you and where it's brilliant <laughs> where it's where you can't sit back and kind of make do one of my frustrations with the classical music world was that actually you could get away with pretty sloppy stuff and mm. people would accept it because it's art music and mm. I, I i just never think that's acceptable so to come back to your question for me the kind of projects that i'm i'm filtering out tend to be either new games or or drama 
So, you know, I'm looking at a horror script at the moment, which would be a real change for me. I've played on other people's horror movies, but never actually written mm. one myself. I'd love to do that. And other dramas as well. There's another drama kind of circulating too at the moment. But then I'm also working on technology projects too. So it was a, you know, I just want to make sure that it's not, that I don't develop too deep a studio tan. Yeah, which for anyone who doesn't know, for anyone who doesn't know, particularly as an English person, is just when you could become so pale, you become transparent because you spend your whole life indoors. You know, I, I want to make sure that that at least a third of what I do is not confined to to sitting at a desk thinking of tunes. I mean, yeah. what was the first like? How does it work? For, okay, Detroit is very <laughs> interesting because there's more than one composer. You actually oh, yeah. have you have three composers. Yeah. Um, did you audition? Did they hear your music? What was like the what was the initial outreach like? It was it was crazy. I mean, how about this? I got contacted through LinkedIn. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay, that keep going. program that you want that app you want to delete because it's so annoying. Yeah. people are like here's a job offer for you. So I don't want a job. That's why I'm a musician. You have a website too, but okay, go ahead. Yeah, that's true. They didn't yeah. find me through that. You know, my website right. is pretty easy, but. And and I had this amazing contact where they said, yeah, well, um, we've actually already used a track of yours to to cut a trailer to. And oh, like, oh, okay. Yep. And I had a look at the trailer and I thought, oh, wow, this is amazing. And the way they'd used my music and cut to it made my music sound so much better than it is. Mm. You, you know, when mm. <laughs> if, for anyone who doesn't know make friends with an editor an editor will make you sound amazing you know that's it, it that that's there's such a dark art to it and what they put together was so fantastic and it was actually so far beyond the vision of the particular piece that i'd written that they were that they'd licensed and then they said to me and i said okay so what do you, how do you want me to how do you want me to pitch because i said you know interested in writing one of the characters there's two other composers yeah I'm like well wow that sounds that kind of sounds cool and kind of safe as well. And yeah. It's like, that's, that's, I like the sound of that. How do you want me to pitch? Yeah, I said, I don't really, I don't really pitch. I don't have a show reel. It's not kind of what I, what I do. And they said, no, we don't want you to pitch. We just want to know if you'll accept the job. It's like, I'm pretty sure this isn't how it's meant to work, but okay. Um, so what style do you want me to write in? And David Cage, the director said, well, we want you to write as Philip Shepard. I went, Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. I don't know what that is, but all right. (laughs) I think to quote one of your other guests, the moment you sound like yourself, you're sort of in trouble, you know. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, So it was... When was that? Like, when did that first happen? I think that was before Christmas, um, a a year and a half ago. Yeah, it was about 18 2016? Twenty yeah, end of twenty sixteen. Okay. And it was very soon after I'd written in my diary, I'd like to do a game and that bang, this game came. That's off, incredible. You know? Seriously, write things down, they happen. It's really odd. Um and it was the perfect one because it was a it was very artistic and the the, the music team there didn't expect me to know anything about the process and they were right to not expect me to know anything about the process um you know so it was as far as i mean i always feel i've been lucky because you can learn you can learn on every job you know the the first music i wrote i really was it's all apprenticeship and it still is to be honest with you i'm never i'm never sure that what i've written is is adequate Uh, and it's phenomenal it's it's i want to definitely dive into kind of this more specifics of how you craft your your music especially for a game like detroit but like so 
I mean, for people who aren't familiar with Detroit, and, and so this is coming from this video game designer, David Cage, who, who if people yeah. aren't familiar with him, he's like, he's very well known. And he's, he's been doing these multi-character storytelling now for, for like several years. And yeah. so knowing like his previous work, not being a gamer, not <laughs> knowing too much about maybe what Detroit was about, like, wh- how do you step your way into that first conversation with somebody who's like a seasoned pro and... And he's probably been developing that project for a fair amount of time until he gets to the point when he wants someone to start thinking about music. So how, how does that first kind of, how would you describe that first interaction? So I'm, I, I treated him as any other director, which is I was brutally honest with him. And I told him what I didn't know. Mm. And I found with any project, the bigger the project, actually the less anybody does know to some extent. Okay. So you're never in trouble by saying, okay, cards on the table, How's this going to work? And and the, the most important thing is not not to pretend that you do know. The fake it till you make it doesn't work in music. The best thing to do is kind of say, I literally don't understand what you just said. Therefore, I need you to explain that to me. I'm very, but I will learn. I'm very good at learning. Yeah. You know, so with David, he was obviously he was approaching me and his pitch to me was crazy. And I said, well, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I'm unknown, actually. Uh, that's not fake humility. It's. It's a really good, as I've said before, it's a good place to, to come from sometimes. So I said to him, you know, I, I'm not really sure why you found me, but I'm really excited about this. And he said, well, it's through David Bowie. I went, okay, that's wow, that's crazy. Because Bowie had written a, a score for one of his previous games. So we were already on a kind of strange footing where he, he somehow associated me with that link. What, what, what game we, was it that he... Oh, uh, I knew you'd yeah. ask me that, and I can't oh, remember. Oh, shoot. Sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, I'll look fine. it up. Keep talking. Keep talking. We'll figure it out. I can't Google fast enough. It's, David, I'm David, sure it's very David good. I've not Bowie. played it. Um, it's fine. And, it's fine. And the thing yeah. about Bowie is he he was a technologist. You know, he was somebody who, a bit like Brian Eno. Um, oh, it's like would, uh, Omicron? That's exactly what I was the looking Nomad for. The Nomad Soul. Okay. I'm not yeah, familiar with it, but okay. Let's call it that. Yeah. I yep. didn't know that. That's all right. Um, and so with David, I, I I had this really full and frank conversation with him where I said, okay, if we're going to... Because the thing about working with any director is you need to be... You, you need to be able to say anything to them. And you need to also make sure that you've got a line of communication that's not filtered through other people. Yeah. And so my first conversation with him was, okay, am I going to have a direct line to you or are we going to go through other people? <laughs> and if we're going to go through other people, that's going to make this hard because I'm going to send you a lot of material. I mean, a lot. And I do this with directors. I, I will sometimes write five to 10 times the amount of music that they're looking for because yep. I want to find the right thing. And the thing with writing music for a movie and a game <laughs> is that you need to draft a lot of stuff and then, and then, filter and edit hard and there's this expression i love which is to draft ugly and edit beautifully Mm. and with this particular game david was adamant that you're right he'd done about three three and a half years work on it already and i mean there have been hundreds of people working on this for three years already Mm. so there was a he he was coming at it full speed with okay there's there's a lot to know you know he's french um (laughs) i said okay well the thing about the world i come from documentaries i go into deep absorption mode i read very quickly and i like having a lot of rushes just send me as much as you can he said there's a lot of stuff i said i don't mind send me the script send me all the artwork send me the flow charts and i knew Mm. in gaming particularly in this game this is a multi-linear narrative game where any pathway branches into many other pathways and i said for me to be able to understand anything of what i've got to do structurally and architecturally i need to understand 
every single diagrammatic diagrammatic pathway that the character can take. So I want you to build me a flowchart. He said, mm. oh, okay. <laughs> and actually the flowcharts found their way into the game, which I was pleased about. Yeah. But they, they, were, they were essential, really, to be able to understand the scope of this thing. And I, I honestly plastered my studio with this stuff. But then I, the, the most difficult thing was the fact that I had a year to write this. Now, It's too much time so, in your mind? Yeah. Um, because you know, I'm coming from a world where I'm sometimes brought into a project two weeks before a premiere. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, there's, there's the lead times on movies are insanely short. I mean, they are crazy short. I'm a, I remember playing, I, 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 I solo on other people's movies. I remember playing the solos in a Harry Potter movie on the cello mm-hmm. two weeks before it was already being advertised on the side of buses. Sure. It's like, you're still putting the music down really is that how this works and certainly with documentary you get it's not unusual to have a 12-day turnaround from getting the commission to it being being printed you know to it basically being mixed and delivered and so having a year to write was a very different kind of stress so with david i said okay i'm going to pitch you my idea which is i think what i need even though you don't want to pitch here's what i think we should do Mm. and I was tracking one particular character through the game. So the way it worked is that they had already engaged um, Nima Fakari, who's a fantastic composer, brilliant, very much kind of uh, analog electronica synth based with some real strings too. And then I got John Paisano, who I didn't realize how much of his work already knew. And it was already in my, in my ears. He was Maze Runner, he's dead, everything. The guy's <laughs> up there, big epic orchestral stuff, choirs the lot. And then my sound palette was going to be sort of string based because that's my home. So we already had different stratas of sound that we were working on. And each composer was representing a different character in the game, which was kind of cool. And mine was Kara, who's mm-hmm. who's, an, who's obviously an android like they all are. And I basically immersed myself deep into research on everything that had been written around her character. And then they had already done a huge amount of motion capture. Mm. But of course, the way it works in a computer game is that you're, you might be working with an, what's like an animatic. So it might be an enhanced animation where the hair's not quite right or the face remains flat for the whole scene. Mm. Now, I come from a world where I'm writing for movies about real people where you're trying to really subtly frame very small tells in someone's face. It's a bit like you mm-hmm. you almost learn how to play poker mm-hmm. when you write for documentary. And often the thing is to keep out of the way and just give people a, a frame to be able to hear and to make their own minds up. And of course, on the renderings that were coming through from the game, they were quite expressionless. And I thought that's not going to give me anything to work with. So in the end, I got them to send me as many of the motion capture film sessions as possible. So I was actually writing to the actress, Valerie Curry, who's amazing. And her face is a symphony of, of you know, kind of the unsaid. It's, it's fantastic. So in a way... I almost ignored the graphics. That's amazing. I ignored the game. I mean, I had to understand the gameplay, and my my hands default to a PS1 controller because mm-hmm. I I was very good at playing Wipeout on a PS1 <laughs> until my my first until my first daughter arrived, and she's already working in America now. So that shows how long ago that was. Um, so so my, luckily, my number four child, who was at the time ten years old, um, came in and he said, "Dad, I think I can help you with this because I've got a de- still got it. I've got a development PS." I call it my PS5, just uh, to yeah, yeah. sitting on my desk, you know, 
Um, and, and he said, yeah, look, uh, let me help you. I said, well, no, there's a lot of swearing in this. He said, dad, I know how those, <laughs> the F word works. I can drop the F bomb. I said, yeah, really, this isn't good. Yeah. So he sat and worked with me. He was my intern. He played the game alongside me. Wow. The whole way, th- yeah, the whole way through the process. And it was, it was awesome. I, so yeah, the, no. the, the, the approach was very much, and I, and I must tell you, it took a long time to find the initial theme for Kara. I wrote seven versions of it. Wow. And and you know, the first one came after some deep thought, and and by the eighth version, I thought I'm going to get fired. <laughs> I can't find it. And David's very particular, and he's a musician as well. This yeah. is the director, David Cage. So I said, okay, I'm I'm in. I'm going to fly to Paris, where they're based. The big studios are based. And I said, let me. Um, can I play it to you? you know, sit down and let me play you version eight. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, of course. Come for lunch. It's fine. Yeah. Flew over thinking this is going to be a one-way trip. This yeah. is going to be this is going to be terrible. And we sat down and I said, I just want to see you listening to this. Mm-hmm. And played it. And he listened. He said, Absolutely, you've totally found this. Yes, <laughs> this is Kara. This is it's the way the cello flickers and the mm. tune and the orchestra. I said, Oh, thank goodness! I'm very relieved because that was the first demo I sent you. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said ah oh. I said no it's fine I said but let's have a deal I said yeah I'm going to trust you and you're going to trust me oh. and I found myself this is so un-English I said I've, look, I've written 60 movies I know what I'm doing will you trust me he said I will <laughs> it was that oh. kind of moment of okay this could be a really bad move but actually, I had to do that. Yeah. And, and I love David very much. You know, we've got a great working relationship. And, and actually, to his credit, mm. I think I needed to write all of those others because you sometimes don't have the confidence in your, in your first thought. Mm. You know, and sometimes it needs to go through that whole process in order to work out what sucks. And believe me, yeah. six of them sucked all terribly. Right. It's, right? It's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful composition. And I wonder, I always wonder, you know, it's always great to, you know, just be on this side of, the fold i guess and and only experience the final product but then when you actually understand how much work and time and energy went into i mean i just think of the development time for any video game and it drives me insane because as a play as a video gamer you experience it the first time you hear it the first time and you have like this very unexpected reaction to you know whatever you're experiencing and I, i just think like listening to it's so you know i only listen to your music by itself last week after kind of finishing majority of the game and I found that wow it's such a different experience now listening to the music by itself and hearing it by itself totally different experience it doesn't have it's just a different I don't know different relationship oh cool yeah it's it's funny because I I've not experienced it in the game yet and there's a specific (laughs) reason for well no not not because I don't want to it's just I'm sure you have this as well when you've worked on a project oh sure you you need to have a distance from it in order to be able to to enjoy it and mm. i have this weird thing where i'll sometimes go to a movie premiere and i'll be sitting there thinking oh i wish i changed that level or and mm-hmm. i'm just too, too aware of the music or, mm. or the conversely um if i've written a movie really fast this happened to me at sundance last time it's so embarrassing mm. i made this film legion of brothers in no time at all sitting there and it starts i think <laughs> what's this music what's this music <laughs> they've replaced do you know what? They've replaced my music. And I was sitting there for the first 10 minutes thinking, <laughs> I'm so angry. And then I realized, no, I'd written it. I just didn't recognize oh it. Oh, my God. 
I didn't recognise a single... There'd been so much caffeine and so little sleep. I think I'd written it in a fog of complete, you know, intoxication of, of lack of tiredness. Lack of sleep, rather. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, but it's funny, with, with a game, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to playing it to see how the music integrates. I mean, I know how the music integrates, but yep. in order to try and enjoy particularly to, to be able to hear the other composers work as well you know that's that's really important and it's that that's a bit of the honor for me as being alongside those guys how did you guys even spot a project like this because he must david must have known going in okay we're, we're gonna have three composers these three yeah. character tracks there's a linearity obviously to any game but this game is a very there's not there's it's linear obviously there's there's an intent of the game designer but there's so un, many unexpected different outcomes that can play out and that's kind of the joy of this type of gameplay and especially how he how he directed it like yeah how do you how do you spot it or how do you how yeah how did you figure it out well luckily from things like the flow charts and the concept art and the script we were all able to identify the kind of marquee moments. You know, what are the points at which the characters either intersect or have moments of extreme duress or even happiness? I mean, believe it or not, there are moments of happiness in the game. Yeah. Um, and, and those generally are, to some extent, cut scenes. Those are generally kind of music to picture if someone doesn't know what cut scenes are. Yeah. Um, and I, did, I didn't know what a cut scene was when I started this project. I mean, it was that basic, my knowledge was what's a cutscene? I'm just going to say it because everyone was talking about it. Um, but it's those moments when the game actually locks the picture and runs in a linear fashion, direct, you know, and everything right. synchronizes in a pattern. All bit, it might only be for 10 seconds. So we were looking for those points. And then I think each composer knew that we were aiming for those moments, but also at the same time, we were having to build a very simple set of kind of gestural themes and motifs for for our characters and from that to build out a toolkit so the way that we actually spotted it um was was very much reliant upon aiming towards the moments that would play out to be pivots Mm. to be to be kind of divergences in the game but really the credit goes to to mary lockwood and aurelian baguer who are the music team there's only two people who were handling three composers and a vast amount of music Mm. And once I'd had the crash course, which was a crash course in actually how game music works, which was different from when I learned how game music <laughs> worked, because the technology, thank goodness, has moved on. But they were able to instruct us to write as we would for a movie. So I, I ended up writing, I think, 55 pieces of music that wow. were, I'd say 10 of them were directly attached to specific scenes. And then the others were kind of, okay this is a character with this going on inside their head and, and the world's against them. This is a chase scene. And I was writing kind of generically, which I know sounds a bit strange, but mm. I knew that there would be those moments. And then we were able to tailor those down and to start recut them and rewrite them for each, for each scene where they were needed. But wow. what was really, really smart is once we got into Abbey Road and started recording it, mm. we deconstructed the whole thing. And I'd put in enough recording time to be able to say, okay, we've got this... I don't know, scene on the carousel, for instance, in the fairground where it's quite a happy Tchaikovsky like thing, but mm-hmm. actually the baseline in there is kind of lurking and a bit threatening. Let's just record that on its own. Wow. So we were kind of stemming tracks as we went in order to, to build this vast toolkit. So there was 90 minutes of music recorded in two days. I, I, I'm just looking at like even just the track list here on, on the soundtrack. I mean, car character, there's 23, tr- at least what's released. <laughs> 23 tracks. Yeah. Marcus has 27. Connor has yeah. 21. I'm just yeah. like, 
that's but that's whittled down. That's that, whittled I mean, down, me, right? There's nearly three times as much as that. Ugh, God. And then each, and then each one of those. Yeah, I can hear your hear your stress. <laughs> oh, you can imagine, can imagine the mix process. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then each one of those has got versions because right. you know we might have a, a, a chase scene, but we might have one version where there's no Saul Ponticello, there's no playing on the bridge. It might be that we got everyone to play sustained notes one time through. There's multi. I mean, I've got my my notes from the sessions, yeah. and they are color coded to the point when I ran out of colors. Yeah. It, it was insane, but. I love those projects where they seem to be too big to deal with because <laughs> what happens is yeah. that everyone rises to the occasion. I've sure. had this before where um, this was less stressful from a... Pre- I mean, I've had to previously record all the world's national anthems in a week. Uh, that was for the Olympics? Yeah, there are 206 of them. And <laughs> believe me, this felt oh this felt easier than that. And also because this is... Anthems are terrible. Generally, yes, yes. don't tend to be very good music. <laughs> so, so actually, nothing ever feels quite as stressful as that spreadsheet that I had in front of me at that session. So, the and you know the great thing is that in writing music like this, if you write music that's quite difficult, mm. the orchestra tend to play really well because they'll rise to it. And you're yeah. not saying, "Hey, look, here's another page of whole notes for you." You know, and yeah. everyone sits back on their chairs and go, "Oh God, all right." This and for all of the composers, everyone was writing dynamic music that was actually challenging and i think that's for, for all of us that's that's sort of why we ended up with with particular colors for each of our oh. each of our characters I, w- I would hope you know i think that's yeah. the case what what is your kind of so you said you're on ableton right no or, uh, ableton is something i use to confuse myself oh, when okay. i'm settling into patterns so i use a push to controller okay um so i i improvise a lot chop it up throw it into an ableton and then and then actually random almost randomize it so okay. ableton's just one of the tools i use I, I weird enough um my process is much closer to an edm writer than it is okay. necessarily to a classical composer what's your dj name do you have a dj name <laughs> shitty shitty s-h-i-d-d-y is my nickname to my friends not which in american actually sounds very rude i've realized that's all right that's not it's good that's not Memorable. very good it comes from a misunderstanding i thought i was doing a gig with p diddy and it wasn't it was sean paul and i didn't <laughs> didn't i didn't realize anyway yeah that's i've never told anyone please don't tell anyone Sorry. um and um but i use i write in in logic okay. love it well i actually write a manuscript paper and my studio is covered in in it and yep. then i tend to input into logic where i've built a lot of instruments in that um i will output to sibelius simply at the last moment for okay. scores but i don't write in sibelius okay and, and like what's this some other staples of your either recording, writing, any of your process, like what are your go-tos? Is there a certain instrument, a certain plugin? Yeah. What is, yeah. what are those things? So I, I write on a, um, I've got four cellos that I write and record with. Um, one of them I don't have here at the moment, but I, I've got it, I got it sampled to pieces as a 17th mm. century cello, a Stradivarius, mm. uh, which, which is amazing noise. I've got my own cello, which is like a Georgian cello. So it's made in 1750. It's mm. still older than America. Sorry, I couldn't resist. That's in everything that I do. Okay. Um, I've got an electric cello that was made in Seattle, which I love, which is just a fingerboard, which is for any, any electronica generally on my, on my tracks tends to at some point have come from that. And then I'm a heavy user of Iris, the mm. isotope. I think it's a beautiful piece of software because what you can do is you can play harmonics into it and then you can filter them like crazy. And then I run that through things like guitar rig, 
Uh, I could use big chains of and you know stutter edits, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, I love I love filter programming strings. My my, my go to is always a string orchestra. That's very much my home. My favorite instrument is probably the violin, followed by the piano. I play the cello, which I love, obviously, but. I write a lot for solo violin and a lot for piano too. So I use a Steinway mm-hmm. uh, piano here as, as as well. And then I use a lot of out-of-tune instruments. Mm. So Cara's theme is actually comprised of three different out-of-tune upright pianos because I wanted it to sound mechanical away from the cello line, but I wanted it to sound like it had, that it being kind of lived in, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get character through things being uh, fundamentally wrong. So that kind of works i think you know and, and and deeply analog i don't really you know I, I i will sketch using obviously spitfire samples and stuff like that but i i i don't tend to use sounds which i can't turn into analog sounds in the end process that's the i mean just start, from the very first track that's on the soundtrack not just a machine mm. it's really interesting because I, the, the solo cello kind of yep. piece starting off uh, but in the background, kind of like the texture that you're building, it has a it has one foot kind of in the digital world, kind of with the rhythmic yeah. nature of it. Totally. Was that was that direction that that was given to you by David, or was this kind of like your first? Like that was this my first sketch. Okay. That was my first sketch, and and I knew that I was because I started writing Electronica uh, mm. for this okay. because I thought, well, she's she's a robot, you know, yeah, she's an Android, why not? So yeah. I'm going to do kind of digital clockwork. So I was using a, a broken speak and spell machine. I was mm. using temperature gauges from things i was you know kind of building my own you know kind of crackly instruments (laughs) and stuff but i realized actually that what because it's no spoiler but even within the first act she becomes a she becomes maternal she effectively thrust into deciding to become a mother so suddenly actually i realized all of this all of the music needs to be much more emotional and much more analog and much more full of feels so therefore I keep the clockwork stuff in there, mm-hmm. but it's going to get buried in inside. So there's always an inner core. There's always an inner running figuration which has an electronic to it. But generally, where you're hearing, so in the in the in the theme you're talking about, mm-hmm. you, you'll you'll hear what feels like it's a synthetic core, kind of bubbling and pulsing. Yeah, away. yeah. It's still generated from a cello. It's just oh, wow. it's been processed to the nines. You know, I mean, yeah, but it's yeah, it's, it's incredible, and and I, <laughs> and and I find it, and and also the other thing is that you know I listen back to the solo now and I kind of think God, that's not very good playing, and that's me, and it's my demo, but actually it was four o'clock in the morning. I was really tired. I didn't know what I was doing. I had jet lag. I drank too much coffee, <laughs> and it sounded right because actually mm. it shouldn't be perfect. It sort of had that kind. Of, you know, this, if you listen to it carefully, there's. I, I nudged the string with a bow by accident. I mean, if mm. it was a student mind playing, I'd say, I think you'd better do that again. <laughs> but actually, I even if I, and this sounds really strange, sometimes I'll play something slightly out of tune. I tend to leave it in. Yeah. And I do that with the orchestra as well. If, if I can hear someone breathing in the orchestra, these days I don't edit it out. I yeah. leave it in because it's real. The human aspect of it. Yeah. And yeah. it's just become human. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how, how have you found that... It's interesting because you're not at all limiting yourself to like the palette of emotions that you can kind of tap into with piano or obviously, you know, any string <laughs> instrument or your solo cello or whatever it is. So like, where is it still, where is this still exciting for you, especially when it comes to a game like this, where it's just like, 
it kind of teeters between human emotion, cyber. Do, do these androids have emotion? How should I mm. treat their emotion? And the music, yeah. I think, does a lot of that heavy lifting for the player from like yeah. the gamer's perspective. Like, oh, these are we're we're not supposed to have empathy for these characters, but yet the music kind of carries that for the gamer. Yeah, and it's very, that's that's a really good point. I mean, and also what's so such a new experience for me is I spent my life trying to hide the fact that I'm telling people what to feel because mm. in documentary, right? If particularly as a British composer in documentary, if the audience sense <laughs> oh, I'm being I'm being manipulated here. You lose them. Yeah. So often my job is to kind of sneak it in. I love um, uh, now. Who is it who who said it? I heard this amazing quote. Um, my my brain's gone blank from the wonderful composer of the Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Sorry, it's almost ah. midnight where you are. So yeah, exactly. Um, um, who who said you know good good mu- good film music should be like a perfect guest at a party. It should insinuate mm. its way in without announcing itself but by the end be completely indispensable and i think that's true now with this game obviously we were being quite manipulative with the music (laughs) of actually racking up the tension and making people feel a lot but i felt always that my my perspective from the music was inside kara's head not necessarily the other characters represented yeah, I'm, I'm not representing the people who are fighting her or even where she is. I'm simply trying to give her internal process. Now, the good thing about music is it doesn't mean anything. It's abstract. Mm. And of course, <laughs> well, it's true. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean anything until we put, attach meaning to it. So a gamer will attach a meaning to it because they will be having feelings and therefore the music will start to mean more. You get this virtuous circle. And it's so weird reading, I mean, it's wonderful, but you read comments that people have written about the tracks and you realize they're getting far deeper reactions, visceral reactions to it than maybe you had when you were writing it. Mm. Because for them, they're creating this connection where it appears to have meaning upon meaning, mm. which is which is very, it's very strange. And for for me, the, the challenge is I, I will always have strings as the core of how I write. And I've written for full symphony orchestra and mm-hmm. lots of, you know, for bands and all that kind of stuff. But I know that if I limit my palette to strings, I can get more colors from that than I can from anything else. Okay. And also I can push the players harder in those range because I, because I know what I'm talking about in a way. And with, mm. that sounds terribly arrogant. And you've got to realize with my orchestra, I've known most of them since I was 13 or 14 years old. So they, they know that I'm, you know, sometimes the challenge is go, go on, show me what you mean. Then I'm mm. like, all right, well, I can because it goes yeah. like this. There is a point at which that's an advantage. Now, uh. I love the quote that um, I think Hitchcock said to Bernard Herrmann when he was shooting Psycho. Mm. Um, look, I want you to use a string orchestra. And Herman's like, well, I have a full <laughs> symphony orchestra here. He said, no, no, no. I'm shooting in black and white. Therefore, you're going to use strings. Oh. And Herman sort of, I think, looked perplexed at that. And Hitchcock said, yeah, but you've got to understand, I'm going to get more colours from using black and white. And so are you with strings. Yeah. Which is actually a brilliant point. Because the moment you create a limitation, your 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 audience will actually fill it out to becoming hugely more um panoramic and technicolor than actually if you give them all of the flavors and all of the textures and it's a little bit like uh, in 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 the dunkirk interview that you did Mm. you had this amazing i think it's an amazing parallel where they're talking about how to make the impact of a very loud explosion oh sure and what you do yeah and what you do is you get the audience to lean in the dynamics of it yeah 
Yeah, and there's also the the same is true with with writing for a limited amount of instruments. You actually get the audience to do a lot of that heavy lifting for you, mm. it, it, which is quite strange. And the other thing about writing with strings is I feel it's easier to create a sense of of immersion and transparency. And and for me, not in the game world, but in in a lot of movies, there's a lot of what I call pokiness. There's a lot of kind of in as much as you're being jabbed in the face by instruments <laughs> in the mix. You know what I mean? It's coming. You know, you know that you go and see the minions in 3D, and the, the whole thing is about you know things jabbing you from the screen outwards. Yeah, terrible example. But in 3D, you have this lovely concept of parallax. You know, where you're drawn into a picture rather than being punched by it. Mm. And I think when I try and mix and, and when I try and write, I'm always looking for the equivalent of a parallax. And strings do that because they can create a vast range of, of texture and, and you know, deeply goosebumpy harmony, where they can still be completely see-through. They can still have this transparency to them where you can still pick out dialogue and foley and <laughs> sound design. Mm -hmm. And... and and that's, for me, that's my wheelhouse. That's where I feel skilled. Whereas if I do that with 12 clarinets, I'm going to be doing it in such a basic way that I, I feel a fraud. I can, <laughs> but at the same time, I know that I can do that effect when it's just strings, I think. Do, do you find that because, like, you're, during your demoing, you're playing your parts, you hear it, it's almost like when you're um, temping, yeah. you know you can't use it. But in your case, do you find that you're allowing other players to come in and play those parts because you also are conducting your sessions. Yeah. Well, I have this thing that, um, I love booking players who are better than me. Okay. That's, uh, that's a good. Yeah. All right. <laughs> no, no, but I'm really happy about that. Yeah. And, and I'll tell them they are. And you know, what? if I tell a player, do you know what? I've booked you cause you're so much better than me. Do you know what they're going to do? They're going to play really, really well. <laughs> <laughs> and and for any, I see there are a couple of tips. I do want to relay these because someone told this to me and I've been so grateful. This is from like my first ever recording session. Uh -huh. And I've done this with some well-known orchestras and, and it's a tip and it works. And it's along those psychological lines, which is, it doesn't, you know, you're in a big recording studio, doesn't matter what, Berlin, Abbey Road, whatever. Yep. You put that first cue on people's desks and you stand there and you say, okay, let's let's run this cue through. We'll put the red light on. Let's let's see let's see what we've got here. Yeah. And you do a full playthrough of that cue, and it's got to be one where they can where obviously your engineer can get the dynamics, and they, there's got to be a full range. So it's got to be a bit of a play. I don't you don't want to start with something, with something quiet. It's got to be difficult, mm -hmm. and it's got to be kind of a decent body of sound. You let it finish, <laughs> and then you stand there and you look wistful for a bit. <laughs> okay. And then you look around the whole orchestra and you say, I think we'd better do that again. And you know what happens is that every single player sits up in their seat and inside they're going, oh, shit, I noticed. <laughs> uh -huh. And even if it was a perfect take, always do that because uh -huh. you then get 50% more better. And it works every Every single time. And it's such a good way of getting the mood right in a session. It's, it never fails. You're not criticizing. Uh, you're not saying that wasn't very good. You're saying, I think we better do that again. It could be because you were conducting in three and it's in four. You're not, you're not criticizing. I've done it with the London Symphony Orchestra. I've done it with the London Philharmonic. It just works. People really want to perform. They want to show you that they're capable of... So yeah, much more. And every play, and I've been, I'm often, I'm still playing on other people's sessions. You know, I've done, 
yeah, I was doing a session for Daria Marinelli recently and mm. I'm sitting there thinking, I want to be good for you because I love your <laughs> music. And actually there is a point at which everyone in that room thinks, oh, he noticed. No, you didn't. Uh-huh. But it's, it, there's this self-regulation that you get in a really good session player where they actually want to be fantastic at what they do. And it's such a good thing to... Oh, the second tip. The second tip is after lunch, leave a bar of chocolate on everyone's seat. Oh, all right. you, you might have been vicious in the morning and really demanding. <laughs> they'll come back and they've just had lunch. They're a bit tired. Caffeine hit, expensive chocolate. And you know what? They'll always say yes to another session. Like when you try and book them again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the, he gave us chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was and, the difference. Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> you know, it's, it's incredible because just the amount of material that you're able to... And... and, and um, variety of material because of the because of the care character. Yeah, she has a really interesting through line, and like I I, I think I've I'm not even sure how much of of her story or the game I've gone through. I I thought when we first started, like oh I think I'm like halfway, and you're like no, I don't think I don't you think are. you're you're halfway. Yet. I'm like all right, well, <laughs> but even so, like um, and I actually I stopped listening to your soundtrack to the point yeah. of where I was. I was like because. I think I was about halfway through. I was like, all right. Yes, I'm I think s- there are spoilers in the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, there's spoilers. Right? And just like, don't read the titles. <laughs> no, but for, exactly. for, for anyone to, you know, just to listen to the music, it's an incredible um, journey just because it doesn't feel like, I think a lot of times with um, video, or not video game, uh, film scores, yeah. because it is so tied into picture and you don't have the freedom to really feel out an emotion or or play out an idea that's what i love about video game soundtracks and the music that you're able to do it's open sam you have cues that are three to seven minutes yeah it's totally different what you're right and because often with a movie you'll write something that might be four minutes long and it'd be chopped down to a minute and a half and you think okay well that's just now been cut to size and it's a bit weird but you're absolutely right it's it's Mm. so different with it because and and i would say coming back to your previous Yep. One of your previous points. I think I wrote almost clear of picture for a lot of this. As mm-hmm. in, I I had such a clear idea of the character and the script and the mood that I was allowed, thanks to Quantic Dream, they let me go mm-hmm. off down a track of just writing almost like a tone poem. Yeah. You know, here, here's... Here's an hour and a half of music that I think might reflect the character in the game. And then due to their editors, they were able to then retrofit it to to work but you're right you end you end up with something that's sort of much more in in a weird way it's much more romantically kind of based in in the sense of it being um a a much bigger arc it's not cue by cue Mm -hmm. it's more okay we start here quite small and locked in and then by the end again not to put any spoilers in yeah you're in several different very deeply emotional endings that could come from any number of types of movies Mm. I'm struggling not to spoil. No, spoil it's, well, I was gonna say like just lis- listening to "Keep Turning" the second track, yeah. incredible texture, like really interesting composition. So so different than like the confrontation or Zlatko yeah. or like some of those er- but, like very like heightened kind of like oh I, got, cool. I have to get out of here moments. <laughs> but but in every I I did I, I love um, John Williams' approach in ET, which is you come up with a theme. And then you hide it mm, yes. in as many registers as possible. So that by the time you hear 
E.T. Flying. You've heard that tune 14 times already. Yep. No wonder you get goosebumps. It's been the bass line in three of the cues, you oh. know. And and so I knew it was very important to almost be more, this sounds really pretentious, more like <laughs> Marla, you know, where you're, you're going to be sticking. I'm going to be, and my theme was only two note, you know, the two note theme really with a kind of ostinato, a kind of riff underneath it. Sure. This flick, flickering riff. So in every single track, somewhere oh. hidden those two elements are buried somewhere now you're not hearing them but you're probably subconsciously sensing them and, and pulling them in which is why i think when you get to a moment of duress and they come to the front uh it's what the germans call this hervotra tend it's step literally a theme steps forward and announces itself you feel so strongly about it because actually your brain's had those, was it seven repetitions you need before you think of an idea as being your own? That mm. you need seven, that's a marketing thing. But you need, <laughs> you, you've, you've heard it so many times already that it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a construct, but it's in your head. Uh. You know, and, and that is, but, but, that, but that's actually a very, you know, that's a very 19th century thing to do in, in, in a good way. Yep. I and mean, that's what people like Sibelius or Tchaikovsky were doing. And for me, I was trying to reference, not the composers exactly, but the feeling that they would be able to achieve with very simple means. So there's a scene where Alice goes on the carousel mm, mm. and I knew I needed to find, and you know, my theme's really melancholic, really. I mean, that's why I was happy writing. I'm British, it's how we live, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> you, you're building her theme into the carousel music, right? Oh yeah, it's totally, so the yeah. riff becomes the barrel yeah. organ, becomes the whole kind of yeah. glorious arpeggio stuff that the violins take over and it becomes like this kind of winter dance, you know, it becomes, I thought, you know, if, if, uh, if Tchaikovsky wrote a waltz in 4-4 four, four mm. that was set on an ice skating rink, what it would sound like, which yeah. is what I wrote to. That was basically my brief to myself. It's a, it's a, it's it, it's a quick moment too, but really powerful. Yeah. It, it's like a moment of levity. You're like, oh, thank God, I'm not going to die. The only time that character smiles. Is well. <laughs> <I know. laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, she's got plenty to be miserable about. Well, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, okay. So this the soundtrack just came out not too long ago, but yeah. um, now that the game is out, like you're saying, reading reviews, like getting that reaction from players, like what do you take away from working on, you know, probably one of your first major, like bigger video game titles? I think I've been very lucky. Um, I think I've been lucky to fall into, I don't want to call it a franchise, it's not, but mm -hmm. to fall into a project that's been so artistically thought through. And I've been also very lucky to have been in the right place at the right time <laughs> for it. And genuinely, I, I you know, it, and, and also the way it's been received in, in the gaming community has been extraordinary. I'm, weirdly enough, you get, even as a movie composer or, or doing big live events, you get used to a lot of hate. You have to just take it. It's part of being, it's not that I'm known, yeah. but your work, you know, your work gets known. So therefore people will snipe at it. Mm. There's been so little, I'm going to open it up now, but there's been yeah. so little, there's been uh -huh. so much engagement. And to the point when you're getting people writing to you really quite emotional things. And you, you know, someone who's, who's 15 years old, this is suddenly meaning something to them that they're connecting to that I hadn't necessarily intended. But that means a lot to me. I've got, I've got young kids and I'm thinking, well, actually, you, you start to feel this responsibility to people who, who find that they get an emotional connection. Mm -hmm. to the reason. escape, I know, yeah. Yeah, and I know, yeah. I know Nima's had that too. And that's a big responsibility. And that's, 
that's a real kind of that's a real that's a real blessing to kind of engage to to be able to engage with that um hmm. and then i think i think the other thing is i I've, i feel like i've discovered a world i didn't know hmm. you know it's i thought it's it's funny you know doing music your entire life and i'm hmm. you know more than halfway through my life and suddenly finding something that i know little enough about to be fascinated by it. have a go at it it's gone okay i'm gonna do this hmm. i love this yeah and also i'm i'm finding a community of people who who love orchestral music i mean what a great time to be a composer you know we've got yeah particularly in the uk music's our third largest export now and you look going you know going to air studios or abbey road any day and there's a full-size symphony orchestra recording a game soundtrack that's a, yeah. that's a long way from mario you know? <laughs> <laughs> which is brilliant yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> so amazing well phil thank you so much for just all this incredible stories and perspective on this process it's it's fun to hear about how how people stumble into projects and unexpectedly leave with just an experience that they never would assume would have happened i mean it just seems like this this project is really unique this game is unique i feel like the music that you came in, came away with is going to be something that you're going to people are going to be referencing as like remember one because i look at all your work and it was just like I see major steps in projects that you do, and like like you're saying, this this was the right time, this was the right moment for you to work on a project like this. So that seems really exciting. Well, I, I'm I'm immensely grateful for everyone who's engaged with it, and I'm I'm yeah, thank you, Michael, as well. It's it's lovely to be able to talk about some of the technical aspects of it as well. And it's weird because I've <laughs> I've been a, I've I've since I started, I've sort of been engaged with um, Soundworks, and and it's yeah, it's quite strange this is a podcast i probably can't listen to because i'm on it but it's <laughs> it's a re- it's a real honor for me to be in 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 you know in the company of people that i i respect oh, that's and, great. Uh, and i'm trying i'm learning so thank you so much oh my pleasure and for folks who want to check out your music obviously you have a, a great website philipshepherd.com and you know all, a lot of your music is on both spotify and apple music and you can even um, get the the upgraded collector's edition soundtrack which is <laughs> even more what, what what's it what's like the difference between the two um i think the collector's edition is bundled into the game okay uh, and it has there's some unlockable sort of little easter eggs in there okay. too but i'd also say that also whenever anyone engages with me on twitter or any of those kinds of platforms i've got this terrible habit of sending people albums and sheet music as well just for the hell of it because <laughs> i think if so honestly if someone has tried to seek me out i'd, I'd rather send them stuff especially if they're a young person they don't want to you know, be spending lots of money. I'm, I'm, <laughs> my PR people will kill me, but it's true. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I've, I've, the, the music's there to, to, to be heard. And today I've been sending out hundreds of versions of sheet music for the Cairo theme just because, uh-huh, awesome. you know, I see people selling it online. I think I'm going to give this away and yeah, yeah, proper yeah. version because I don't, I don't, I don't care about the money side of it. I just want people who engage with it That's so to cool. be able to engage with it. Yeah. So yeah. The, uh, I guess for folks, there's website, Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud. Spotify, yeah. Facebook, yeah, yeah, YouTube. <laughs> you have uh, yeah. it covered. I love it. Um, yeah, I'm, the only one I'm not allowed to have is 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 what's oh, WhatsApp. Yeah, WhatsApp. My, okay. Yeah, my kids deleted it from my phone, so so it's far too embarrassing for an old person to have that on their phone. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> you have you have enough going on already. I'm really excited to yeah. see what what the rest of the year and I mean, what can you say is coming up next for you throughout maybe this year, or next year? 
Um, I've got more work with some fantastic bands. I've got, yeah, I've got a really exciting couple of projects coming up that I can't talk about. Everything's I, know, under I, I should assume. I should assume. It's terrible. No, no but yeah. you know, and I've, another, I've got also got a remix album of, of my new album coming out as well, which I'm really excited about, which I'm, I'm, I can't wait to do that. Uh, so, when do you think that might come out? Uh, probably in about two months time. I've just released yeah. uh, my, my second orchestral solo album, uh, in on the twenty second of June, same day as the soundtrack came out for the game, presenting, which is called Fall, "Fall from Earth," and then there's a follow up from that called "Great Minds," which will be coming soon as well. So, yeah. Do you still do your like like you did the first time when you did just kind of like your your own album, or I guess like the one that the one that was used for the Star Wars soundtrack? Like, just this is music for me. It's not yeah. meant for any specific project. Yeah, I try and do two of those a year now. That's now because oh I've yeah. realized that, yeah, and I do them alongside when I'm writing a movie or writing a, a score. Stuff that's not like, used or? Um, no, not so much. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah, well, the recycling bin gets yeah, yeah. emptied into the studio. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd never admit that. No, it's not really that. It's more that if I'm if I'm writing and I'm feeling like it's going in a particular way, it might branch off into another vein. So, yeah, the album I've just done, which is called Fool from Earth, is very much more great. about friends of mine who, who aren't famous or whatever. They're just, here's a piece about this person, that person, this idea they had. And it will then tie together. So I, whenever, I've got, whenever I've got sort of 12 pieces, I then take them into the studio at the same time as I'm doing a big project. So oh, awesome. I recorded an album alongside doing quant- you know, doing doing this this one, just whilst I kind of had the orchestra fully fit and my brain in that in that gear. You know. That's incredible. Yeah, I'm just looking here on Spotify. It's a good 12 tracks of material. Yeah. Just another 40 <laughs> minutes of original content music. Gorgeous. <laughs> so good. Well, Phil, thank you so much for the time and uh, for sharing some of the insight about Detroit. For folks who haven't played the game, check it out. It's a lot of fun. It's more gameplay than you might think it is because I thought I was almost finished and I was not even halfway. So <laughs> I'm excited to finish up the game. Um, but thank you again, and I'm looking forward to uh, what, what comes next. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in to my chat with composer Philip Shepard. You can hear more conversations with sound designers, composers, and directors on the Soundworks Collection podcast on iTunes and streaming online at soundworkscollection.com. We also recently added an Instagram page, so go ahead and check that out. And stay tuned. We have more updates from the site. We're going to be doing more podcasts, more videos. We took a little hiatus. We had a lot of content that came out around this past Oscar season. So definitely go back and you can re-listen to all the nominees and Oscar winners. And if you ever have a project that you want to feature on the website, please email us at info at soundworkscollection.com. Talk to you guys soon.